You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Not joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden, who's also the founder of BrewHoop.com. Frank will be out today as we continue our conversation uh, with our good friend and the guy I'm calling the Coach Whisperer, Eric Benning. We will continue that conversation today. This will be the second part of our three-part conversation in this part, we will start to get into some of these coaching prospects and who they are and what they're all about and get into some of the details surrounding them. So uh, we will also end up putting out a document uh Eric's been taking notes kind of throughout this entire process and uh, as he prepared for this. So Eric's going to publish his master notes as we finish up on Friday. So when the part when part three of the podcast comes out on Friday, that will go out as well. You will also be able to find it at brewhoop.com. Our friend Mitch Amar uh, is kind of putting that together and he will release that on Friday as well once part three of this podcast is out. So you will have part one, part two, part three. If you're an auditory learner, you can learn it that way. Way. If you're more of a visual learner, you'll be able to go through some of the notes. Um, there's some good video links in there. You'll be able to check all of that out. So you can grab all of that on Friday. For now, what we're doing is if there's a prospect, uh, a coaching prospect that we don't talk about, if there's a guy that you really like that we didn't get to, um, all you have to do is go to the Google Doc that I have tweeted out. We've uh, compiled a, another Google document that uh, anyone can edit and add to. Uh, that is just for additional coaches, guys that maybe weren't on the list or maybe we didn't cover in enough detail. You thought that uh, we kind of gave them the short end of the stick and didn't give them enough attention. So if you think that's the case, head over to the Google Doc and throw in some of that information, throw in some links, and then at the end, hopefully we can add what you guys send to us to what we're also doing uh, with Eric's notes, and then hopefully there'll be one large document that all of us can look at and uh, Bucks fans can kind of go through and see exactly uh, where people's heads are at. So if you want to find that, you can find that on Twitter uh, by me, at Eric underscore name. In that document, uh, we have a list of all of the coaches that are appearing across the podcast guys that get mentioned um as well as ones that we discuss in further length so i think i have this in alphabetical order here uh the coaches that will be on this list are uh tony bennett james borrego jim boylan mike boonholzer chris finch david fisdale chris fleming becky hammond igor kokoskov will hardy ettore messina nick nurse doc rivers shaka smart nate tibbets Ime Yudoka. David Vanderpool, Frank Vogel, Monty Williams, and Jay Wright. I believe we also mentioned 
Jerry Stackhouse. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure we mentioned uh, Jerry Stackhouse as well. And uh, Jeff Bezdelic is someone that Frank and I have talked about in the past, but did not mention in this one. And that was someone that uh, we had someone put into our blank document that uh, we're working on. So he, Jeff Bezdelic was someone that was added, Eric Musselman, um, and then Jay Wright, uh, some more information there. So if you want to hop in there, go ahead and add some more information. And then, like I said, hopefully by the end, we have this huge compiled document of potential Bucks coaching prospects so that everyone can kind of look at stuff and try to learn some stuff and uh, figure out some more about potential Bucks coaches. So that's kind of the goal there. Um, but this will be the second part of that podcast uh, as we start to talk a little bit more about some of the coaches on this list. Um, one of the ones that I mentioned, Igor Kokoskov, uh, he was actually hired as the Phoenix Suns head coach. We go into quite a bit of detail about him, and I believe that's going to start off part three uh, of this podcast, but that's totally fine. I think we're going to keep it in just so, so you get a better idea of kind of what he is all about. And also I think there's maybe some value in kind of learning why we valued him and why we thought that he would be a good head coach prospect, even though he obviously cannot because he is the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. So we will keep that in, and we are very aware that uh, he is no longer on this list, but we are still going to keep him there. Just uh, I think it, it's a good thought exercise to keep him there uh, and let you guys kind of figure out exactly what, we, what we've been thinking about as we go through uh, compiling this list. So with all of that being said, let's jump into part two of our Coaches Preview podcast with Eric Benning. Let's do it. Without further ado, we're going to start with, let's call it, I guess, NBA coaches that either currently have jobs or were recently fired um, that maybe have some interest and in, in get mentioned. Um, with those coaches, I think Doc Rivers is probably the, eh, maybe Frank Vogel. Between those two, those are guys that I don't find particularly compelling. Um, with Doc, he's had good years as a coach. He's had bad years. I thought this year was one of his better years as a coach. He was able to develop some G-leaguers. Um, he was able to kind of put together a squad, even with the Blake Griffin trade in the middle of it, and still make a good basketball team. I'm trying to think which year it was with the Celtics, but he had a good year um, with the Celtics as well. And then at other times, he's just coached really talented teams, and they've kind of disappointed and been um, not overly creative and just been whatever. So um, Doc, I don't find particularly interesting. Uh, Frank Vogel on the list. I'm, uh, I guess, a recovering Vogel lever at this point, um, just because it, he really had some good years and he, he did some really uh, good stuff defensively in Indiana. Um, but I feel like in Orlando, he kind of lost his way a little bit. And again, we've seen retreads get hired in different places and go on to do great things. Um, and, and maybe that happens, but I just thought there, you look at Orlando and kind of the way that they were playing and some of the lineups that they put out, some of the ways that they were using Aaron Gordon. And uh, I do think you have some concerns about kind of the, the modern basketball emphasis that we were talking about, I do wonder if he would have that. Your thought on those two guys before we get to another one that maybe more people would be interested in? Yeah, I mean, this sounds a little bit harsh, but um, when, you, when you name those two guys, you don't exactly you know, feel inspired that it's like, all right, we got this guy in tow, and now we're going to take off. You know, it's 
I mean, like you said, they've had success and that's, you know, attractive because you want someone who can, you know, has, has proven that they can get to pretty high levels in the league, but also they've had lows and it's, you know, all that combined with just the time they've been in the league, it, 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 it kind of just leaves you in an awkward spot where it's not, you know, it's not the worst thing they could do, but it's also, it feels like you're going for, not necessarily a splash, but you're going for someone who has a name and is safe and uh, you can't really react one way or the other. So, yeah, um, just feels kind of uninspired and at least would make me feel like you didn't conduct as as wide of a search as you could. All right. Um, other coach that has been rumored, uh, he's still the coach of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, his name has been mentioned with the Phoenix Suns, and then he withdrew it from the Phoenix Suns, uh, Mike Budenholzer. And uh, with Budenholzer, I guess I can understand the attractiveness of what he's done. Obviously, I think he found a level of synergy with um, that 60-win Hawks team that – I, I think has to be attractive. Like that's mm-hmm. that was a team that didn't really have a top thirty guy. Um, maybe maybe you could have said Horford was at the time, um, but it was just. Uh, I mean, it, there was undeniable synergy with that roster, and they they ended up having those five guys get to be Eastern Conference Player of the Month and all the All Stars like. They got to have that, um, and I mean, I think a lot of that credit has to go to Budenholzer for using them the right way, um, for kind of embracing Kyle Korver and what he could do with space in the floor and kind of the same stuff with Al Horford. Um, defensively, they they did some interesting things and uh, were more on the aggressive side, which I think, even though it failed in Milwaukee, some of that aggressive stuff, I think the key is that it was just so over-aggressive and the help was just way too much um and maybe that's a more controlled version of an aggressive defense um and then obviously he's from the spurs tree um so i think all of that kind of adds up to a candidate who is interesting to me but i don't necessarily know that i want right and as far as you know we're going to be talking a lot about you know like offensive creativity and all that stuff we listed earlier as far as the tactician goes at least on offense like Budenholzer checks quite a few of the boxes, if not all of them. Um, yeah. yeah, like you said, defensively, I mean, you know, he's had talent kind of stripped away the last couple of years and whatnot, but he's, he's uh, I think they, they might have been top five one year. Yep. Don't quote me on that. Not <laughs> sure. But yeah, it's kind of up and down. Uh, there's very good chance. It's a little less, uh, I guess we'll say, stubborn than kids' scheme and maybe a little more controlled, like you said. But on top of all of that, um, until Budenholzer is fired, I I would believe that their front office will want some sort of compensation if you want to hire him. So yep. I know I know Bucks fans are, you know, like real fired up about the chance of hiring a coach again and giving up <laughs> anything <laughs> for him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's just something I don't think you you would want to do. Again, if you're going to hire a coach, even though Budenholzer is, I don't know, 70, 80% of the way there in terms of finding a candidate you want. All right. Um, 
I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna go through some of Arnovitz's list here and some of the names that aren't on your list. Um, but I guess we'll start with college coaches: Jay Wright, Tony Bennett, Shaka Smart. I'm not particularly interested in college coaches. One because you're gonna have to bid against those colleges to get them. Um, so you're gonna probably pay them a, a pretty penny. And then on top of that, you don't know if it'll work. Like you don't know if those guys can come to the league and and be great coaches. Uh, obviously, it worked out with Brad Stevens, but there are plenty of of other cases where it didn't work out so well. Um, you, Rick Pitino was with the Boston Celtics, um, and he's not walking through that door again. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. So um, he's gonna try. But. <laughs> Rick Pitino. Uh, John Kyle Perry. Um, there's there's plenty of guys that have tried to make that jump and and not succeeded. So I'm not particularly interested in college coaches. I don't think you are either, Eric. Um, so unless you have a problem, I'm going to keep rolling through. Um, some of the other assistants, um, there's I shouldn't say assistants, but just other guys, other people that are listed. Um, there's some wild card guys like Brent Barry. Um, Kenny Smith is someone who's like trying to get into coaching, like float his name out there. Um, I'd be more excited about Barry than Smith. Um, trying to think then there's like a, on Kevin Arnovitz's list, it's a bunch of younger, younger guys, um, that, you know, maybe are going to be near the top of his list in the coming years. Um, but Taylor Jenkins, uh, is someone who, uh, people are excited about there. Um, and the, he's current, the current assistant for the Atlanta Hawks. So under Budenholzer, um, who we already talked about Johnny Bryant is an assistant, uh, with the Utah jazz. We're going to talk about another jazz assistant here in a little while. Uh, Miami heat assistant, Juwan Howard, uh, Denver assistant, Jordy Fernandez. Um, let's see who else, uh, David Adelman, also an assistant uh, with Mike Malone. And then Kevin Young is a 76ers assistant. Um, so some more of the, the fringy type prospects. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, I'm trying to look through your list and this list at the same time. David Blatt is someone uh, mentioned who may possibly be looking to get back into the NBA. Um, I'm not sure. What, what do you think about Blatt? Um, I don't know that I love guys who... Um, I just, I was kind of turned off by him mentioning that he didn't think he was a rookie coach and, um, believed that he kind of knew the answers. And I mean, he got dealt a crappy hand with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I just think for him, it was, it was kind of a, a position where I understand that he believed he should have been much more respected. And people should have viewed him a different way, um, but the reality of the situation is like unless you've had NBA success, people don't view that way. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious what he'd be like on a second go around. Maybe some of that would be curtailed a little bit, but uh, I don't know if I'm willing to be the team that finds out. Yeah, and I don't know if it's fair to necessarily, necessarily you know, lump him in with Ettore Messina. I hope I'm saying that right. I think I am. Um, but with with guys with that type of like top level reputation, um, there's gonna be I, at least I anticipate some sort of like uh, ethos or like you said uh, some sort of like demand for respect. Not necessarily even in a bad way, but just you know 
carrying that reputation over. It's like, oh, this guy who's done so well over in Europe is going to come and he's just going to sprinkle his, you know, magic European dust. That sounds weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All over this team and they're going to figure it out. They're going to play a different way. And I, I don't want to say that's like a guaranteed recipe for failure. It can be a complete success if you find the right team and personalities, but it, it, it's maybe it's unfair because we're just maybe you don't like the guy and therefore you don't want him to coach the Bucks. But I just feel like there's some sort of like disconnect there where there's not that you know relationship building. It's more like, well, I'm the I'm the accomplished coach. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how to do it, and therefore you're going to do it. <laughs> and if you don't, I'm going to get pissed off. So again, maybe that's unfair, but. It's just it, it it doesn't seem like such a potentially fitting relationship. It seems like it's going to be you know uh, some sort of hierarchy that may or may not be good, and I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I was going to say with Messina, I think that's kind of the concern I have as well. And again, he's he's been with the Spurs now for years, um, so maybe there I don't want humbling's the wrong word, but maybe there's been some sort of you know recognition that okay. NBA players might know that I know my shit, but I'm not here to let them know how well I know it. Right. Um, I'm not here to kind of lord over them like NBA players. I'm going to have to find a way to create those relationships, like you already mentioned, um, and find a way to reach each of them and you know not be too demanding or anything like that. So I, I would agree. that That's a concern I have with Messina no doubt about it and i know some some bucks fans are a huge fan of messina and and believe that that could really work out and i i don't i'm not here to dissuade you from from that belief just personally from from my perspective i think that would be to me that would be a concern a concern like i'm i'm not 100% sure it would totally go down in flames i'm not 100% sure it would totally work out like there's plenty of middle ground there um it's just something that i'd be concerned about um just that 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 relationship thing can be so huge right and i want to point out you and i can be like very wrong on yes, this absolutely but it's just you know and maybe we're trying to you know get something too perfect but that's just how we feel and we're not going to apologize for yeah it. absolutely so th- like i said if you if you think he's he's got it and he can do it let's throw this like throw some articles in the google doc and we'll we'll keep improving this list and making it more comprehensive like that that i'm totally into that i think that could be a really cool idea like if all of us work together and create a comprehensive coaching list that all of us can kind of reference and then you know we're we're having a similar conversation so um all right on on the topic of Messina, let's go to all of the other Spurs coaches. <laughs> um, and there, there's a lot of them. Uh, and I think in Arnovitz's article, he mentioned Spurs U. I think that's how he, he referred to it. Um, but there, there's a whole list of them. Um, Will Hardy is the youngest one. Um, I think probably the fringiest of all of the candidates. Um, James Borrego is another one of them who I'm trying to remember. Did he, he took over, I'm trying for to, Jacques Vaughn, right? yeah, he took over for yeah. Jacques Vaughn, um, in Orlando. So he has, I mean, 
again, whether or not you find uh, interim coaching to count as head coaching, like it does. Um, so he does have some head coaching experience. Uh, he did that in 2015. Um, he had been in the Spurs system before that, uh, spent some time with the Hornets, um, or the New Orleans Hornets at the time. So Pelly's uh, later on. Then uh, the Magic from 2012 to 2015 with Jock Vaughn, as we mentioned, took over for him in 2015 and then moved back to the Spurs um, in 2015. And he's been here, or he's been there in San Antonio for the last three years. So um, he's one of them. Um, let's go with M.A. Udoka. Did I get M.A. right? I think that's right. Either like M.A. or E.M.A. Or... Um, so he's 40, year old, 40, year, 40 years old. Um, how did I stumble on that and not his name? Um, but Okay, that's fine. Um, so looking at kind of what he's done now for the last little while, um, obviously he, he got into coaching. Um, he was a former member of the Spurs, so he got into coaching after a playing career. Uh, he was with the Spurs from 07 to 09 uh had also from 10 to in, in the 10 11 season spent time with the kings blazers knicks uh spent some time overseas uh spent some time in the g league uh lakers and i think that's about it so he kind of had playing experience across um kind of all different platforms. Um, he's been an assistant with the Spurs since 2012. Um, let's uh, Becky Hammond, um, obviously a former WNBA player, um, just a badass uh, <laughs> women's basketball player. She was fantastic. Um, and now she has been with the Spurs here for a while. You may remember last summer uh, the Bucks had her in for – a conversation um an interview i I don't i don't something weird something i mean they had an open gm spot and they had becky hammond in and i mean as we've heard more about it um i think she was kind of curious why she was in for a gm interview um that's how you know by the way that's how you know that you you've you've done a good job when the person you bring in is questioning why they're there (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's not ideal. Um, you don't want that person, uh, feeling that way. Uh, but that was how she felt. Um, but she's been an assistant coach with the Spurs since 2014. Um, and then the final Spurs assistant, Monty Williams, 46 years, 46 years old. Um, he was obviously a former head coach as well. Um, and, he had gone through the tragedy of losing his wife while he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder um, as an assistant coach. And uh, now he's on the basketball ops side. So he's the VP of basketball operations for the Spurs. So not an assistant coach, but kind of on the other side of things. Uh, he was an assistant with the Trailblazers from 2005 to 2010. Then he was with, uh, then he was the coach of the Hornets and Pelicans from 2010 to 2015, and then uh, assistant at, in Oklahoma City from for the 15-16 season. So, um, Spurs folks, what do you, do you have any that you like? Um, is there any that you circled there? Um, what do you like or dislike about any of them? Yeah, I think at this point on the list, um, from here going up, 
these are people that I like. Like everyone I, I we've put on here, to some degree, I, I view favorably. However, you know, um, with with Yudoka, for example, um, from what I from what I read, he's a great teacher. Um, he was really instrumental in convincing Lamarcus Aldridge to sign with San Antonio, which, depending on what you think of him, is good or bad. But you know. Um, that ability to, you know, form a relationship on the fly like that and get a star like that to trust that this is all going to work in San Antonio, like, that's impressive. Um, with, I guess we'll, we'll go with Monty first because I think Becky will have a little more to talk about. Um, if if you wanted Giannis to have uh, a coach that was going to be, like, the most perfect uh, relationship building and you know bond forming type of coach just for that reason i think monty williams is would be number one like i i you can go back and read all like the features and you know him you know around the time that his wife wife died or when ryan anderson's girlfriend passed away and monty features prominently in that and he's just reading that you you, you get the he's the an incredible of, human yeah He's just a fantastic human, like across the board, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. So in that sense, he'd be great. But um, with those two, more so with I guess Monty because he's had head coaching experience. I, I like I was looking at you know defensive ratings and offensive ratings when he was in Pelicans coach, and I understand like the team's different, and I think. Uh, second last or last year is when they got Anthony Davis. So they're clearly bad enough to be in that position. Yep. But even that being said, there wasn't really anything remarkable about like with the pace at which they played or the success they had on offense or defense. And it was just all kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, far be it for me to criticize what a coach is capable of doing, but there wasn't really anything that, you know, sort of grabbed you outside of his incredible you know, character um, that, you know, made me think we should put, you know, Monty in the top three or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I was was going to say with Monty Williams, um, it's a, it's a conversation that we'll reference throughout, but uh, a few weeks back, Brian Windhorst joined my homies in uh, Madison at ESPN Madison, Tony Cartagena and TJ Hogan and talked a little bit kind of about the bucks and, um, one, go back and listen to it. Uh, I'm sure I'll tweet out links to it that you can see it as well. Um, and you talked about Jabari and kind of how all of that was going down in the playoffs. And I uh, talked a little bit about Giannis and his ability to take over. Uh, and then he talks about the Bucks coaching uh, candidacy. And we'll talk about one of the guys that he mentions a little bit later. Um, but the other one was Monty Williams. And like you said, it when Wendy kind of broke it down, he was talking about how you have to figure out the the balance, which is something that we started this conversation talking about, right? Like you have to figure out the balance of offense, defense. Uh, you have to figure out relationship building or a guy that's going to push them to the next level. You have to figure out win now or development. Like you have to figure out all of these things. And he kind of mentioned it the same way. Like Monty Williams is someone that's undoubtedly going to be able to get along with Giannis and he's undoubtedly going to be able to form a strong relationship there, which again can be very important. Like if you're trying to figure out 
is Giannis going to sign the Supermax? Is he going to be a part of this organization going forward? Like having a coach that he genuinely connects with could be significant to that. Now you just have to kind of balance out. Is Monty Williams a good enough coach that you want that connection to be formed, that you want him to uh, come in here for the next three to five years uh, and be the guy that takes Giannis on this next step. And uh, some of the things you mentioned are why there would be, I think, cause for concern in that regard and whether or not he can actually do it. Right. And no, on top of all that, uh, like we said, Monty would be, you know, a great leader, friend, whatever for Giannis and Jabari and Chris. But at least in terms of Giannis, Giannis has gotten along with Larry Drew. He's gotten along (laughs) with Joe Prunty and, you know, obviously Jason Kidd. So, I, 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 if I'm making a coaching hire, I guess I'm not necessarily worried <laughs> or as worried about Giannis, you know, not getting along with somebody. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you know, you don't want to hire like Thanos or whatever. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that but, would that would be interesting. He would de- mean, he would demand victories. There's you know no doubt how many about that. Rings slash stones. He <laughs> has? Ah. Oh man. Man, we got topical content all over this place. Well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, like, so I think at least at this point, you you, you want to keep an eye on you know how Giannis is doing, like what he what he's thinking and what he's thinking going forward in particular. But I would rather not you know make a hire to just make sure that Giannis gets along with the coach. I'd rather hire someone who will probably do that, but also bring everyone in the team up a couple levels. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Becky Hammond, what do you got? So with her and and to some extent, Jerry Stackhouse, Mm. um, at least based on their profiles, we forgot to mention him, but yeah, he's a hot candidate as well. There's a lot to like, but I think uh, their, I don't want to say lack of experience, but the, the, the amount of time they've had, you know, on NBA benches is just a little too short for my liking. That's not to say they aren't fantastic coaches and that hiring Becky Hammond in in particular wouldn't be, you know, a fantastic move, you know, in terms of breaking ground and whatnot. But with where the Bucks are in, you know, you want to develop as many players as you can, but more than likely you're you're going to want to start winning. <laughs> I, I would think pretty soon. So I think just I'm not necessarily saying that they're inexperienced, but in terms of their first head coaching gig, I don't know if the Bucks environment with trying to win so soon would be the best place for them. I'm sure the Bucks will have interest in both. I just don't know if that's the 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 environment that they're going to want their first head coaching gig in. I think they'd probably benefit I don't know, somewhere just to throw out a name like Orlando or yeah. Atlanta or something like that. Somewhere where they have a little bit more of a leash, not that they would be fired, but just to, you know, learn on the job and establish these relationships. And I would say, like, I don't I don't know that either of us are against hiring a first time head coach. Um, but I think where kind of some of my concern comes from is hiring a first time head coach that's a former player. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, I mean, I, I think 
if you've been immersed in coaching for a long time, you've been a long time assistant, like you kind of get how the NBA works. Like you get how NBA coaching works, the things that you need to do. And that's not to say Jerry Stackhouse or Becky Hammond wouldn't understand that quite yet. Um, but I think again, with the bucks, you're trying to figure out that balance, winning development, all those different things. And I, I think with both of those, with both candidates, with both uh, Jerry Stackhouse and Becky Hammond, I think both of them probably lean a little bit more to the development side just because they're able to reach players in that way, like where they are former players and they kind of understand how all of that works. And, and maybe they, they wouldn't be as far on, on to the wind scale. And again, could be totally wrong. Maybe they're, they're both going to be great and both come firing out of the gates um, when they get their first job. I just, again, don't know if you, as the Bucks want to, to be the ones to figure it out if that makes any sense um yeah, like you're in a, you're in a delicate spot you gotta win and you have to convince Giannis to sign a supermax so um uh, i think though you do still want to have people that can help out with the development and things like that like you do need to win now and trying to help them as they get through that and learn more about coaching um might not be the way all right, um, let's go with – all right, so that's kind of the Spurs people. Those are some of the other uh, people. The Spurs people officially make the end of your list, right? Like, to be clear, like, all those Spurs folks are at the end of your list and the start of the people you like as opposed to, like, kind of the college coaches and the more fringy people um, and the current or – recently fired coaches like the Spurs people are all a level above that right I, I have that right yeah they're, I mean they're fringe as opposed to like fringe yes with the other guys but yeah I could have just said yes and that would have been over with <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right uh let's get to the first coach that I see a bunch of notes from um Jim Boylan and before all of you freak out Bucks fans, not that He's Jim back. Boylan. Um, there, there are two Jim Boylans. They spell their name differently. Um, the, the Jim Boylan you're thinking of, Jim B-O-Y-L-A-N, was the former Milwaukee Bucks coach. Uh, he took over when Scott Skiles was fired. Um, he, so he was with the Bucks from 2008 to 2013. Uh, he is... Currently a Cavaliers assistant. He's been there since 2013. Um, not that guy. You were talking about Jim Boylan. G J I M B O Y L E N. And Jim Boylan has been. Um, I'm going to say a lifetime-ish assistant. Uh, he got his start um, as an assistant under Michigan State head coach Judd Heathcote. Um, so he started there 1987-1992. He was an assistant. Then he was uh, assistant with the Rockets for 11 years, 92-2003. Uh, to 2003. Spent a year with the Warriors. Uh, he spent the 04-05 season with the Milwaukee Bucks as an assistant coach. Uh, then went back to the college ranks 05-07 as an assistant at Michigan State, once again where he got started, then took over as the head coach of the University of Utah from 07 to 2011, uh, then got back to the NBA assistant coach ranks 2011-2013 uh, uh, with the Pacers, 2013-2015 with the San Antonio Spurs, and now 
an assistant coach with the Chicago Bulls since 2015. So uh, he's been around. He he has seen a lot. Um, He has not had an NBA head coaching uh, job yet. Um, And he is, let's see, how many, Jim Boylan, 53 years old. So uh, what do you got on Jim Boylan? Yeah, so, you know, we were just on Spurs, and now we're advancing to former Spurs, so we're making (laughs) progress. Uh, I I don't admittedly have a ton other than what you said. He's, you know, he's a lifer. So, you know, in that regard, he's he's been a ton of places, obviously, and therefore, you know, probably learned a lot, probably a lot of knowledge accumulated. Um, He's got Spurs dust on him, which is always, you know, a plus. Um, And, you know, uh, he's in Chicago. So, anyways, with Fred Hoiberg, uh, I don't have a ton, but I just, you know, in, in doing the search, I, I went, on, went on Google, looked him up, and I came across this uh, this interview he had on, you know, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue's podcast, Dunked On, and um, just just listening to him was, at least for me, kind of overwhelming in the sense that there was just terms that he was thrown out left and right and that him and Nate Duncan were just like, Oh yeah, of course. But then even Boylan was throwing out terms that uh, Nate had never heard of like pocket, <laughs> like pocket extra. Um, I, I wish I could remember more, but uh, you know, not maybe not uh, too complicated stuff for, for the sophisticated crowd out there, but yeah. uh it just kind of showcases how much knowledge he has. We were talking about, you know, um, you know, offensive and defensive, you know, being realistic and uh, having, you know, a, a, a deep playbook on both ends, so to speak. And he just kind of hit a bunch of like philosophies that he had. And I uh, just talked about like how to defend uh, the pick and roll, like how to defend the corner three, stuff like that. Not not necessarily stuff we heard a lot when, you know, Jason Kidd and with Prunty and whatnot, um, maybe for a good reason, but uh, that wasn't, I didn't mean that to be an insult, but it's part of their job to not, you know, necessarily divulge everything. But anyways, um, just that, you know, huge dictionary that he had combined with, you know, being with the Spurs who play such beautiful basketball and, being with the Bulls, who you know maybe don't play as beautiful a basketball, but they're they're incorporating new things under Hoiberg and you know getting some of those uh, clunkier players off their roster. So um, just listening to that, if you want to listen to it, I think it's like twenty some minutes in. Um, you know, just just hearing all that was was impressive, and therefore earned a spot on the list for at least some consideration, if maybe not, you know as much as the people who are going to come on later. I was going to say, um, to add on to him, um, again, assistant coach, lifer, he's been around there. He made Kevin Arnovitz's list as well, um, and he was described as a basketball lifer with the smarts, temperament, and experience to excel in the first chair. While we're here, one other person I wanted to put on the list, uh, Jeff Bezdelic. Um, he's kind of been... He's been around. He was already the head coach of the Denver Nuggets uh, in the 2000s. So he kind of, he had a turn as a head coach. Um, Obviously, Boylan hasn't had that turn um, as a head coach in the NBA. He's on a college. Um, But with Bezdelic, um, 
he's the kind of defensive coordinator of the Houston Rockets, who, if you watch the Houston Rockets, and my wife is not a Houston Rockets fan, so I, d- I do not watch uh, a lot of the Houston Rockets. But if you have <laughs> happen to catch them enough on TNT um, or the late game or on League Pass or wherever you may watch the Houston Rockets, um, they've really used this kind of switch-happy scheme um, where they just kind of confuse teams and make it really hard on them uh, to do anything. So I would throw him on the list as well in the same way um, as Jim Boylan lifer been around the game forever. Um, There may not be a ton written on him. There may not be a ton of footage on him, um, but this is one of those other guys that maybe could find success uh, at another turn. So I, I just wanted to throw him out there as well, because, you know, maybe, Maybe that's someone uh, to kind of think about. Is that cool yeah. with you? Is that okay? Yeah, you can put them on the list. Okay, uh, sounds good. I, I will uh, get a chance to do that. Um, and I was going to say, he just had a profile written on him by Vice Sports' Michael Pena, um, if you want to read some more about him. So we'll be sure to throw that onto the Google Doc. I didn't do it right now because I'm not going to type while I'm uh, recording this podcast, but I'll do that later. All right, let's move to your next guy, uh, 43-year-old former head coach David Fisdale. What do you got there? All right. So when, when Jason Kidd got fired, I know a lot of people were, uh, were about ready to hop Hashtag on. Hire Fizz. <laughs> Did I get yes. that right? Yeah. Yes. Was, the enthusiasm was, was perfect. Um, I, yeah. So, he was available as well. It, was, it just seemed like a natural fit. Like, oh, maybe b- during the All-Star break, they can just make the switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't happen. Um, Fisdale has been, you know, pretty visible since, pretty open about, you know, his, his falling out and eventual firing in in Memphis. But, uh, you know, I it, originally I was like, yeah, I was very much team hire Fizz. And then, you know, I was talking to you, a few days ago and they like, as I had been looking for, for stuff on him, which I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, I had to borrow your, your food analogy for people. And what I came up with in, in, in the short term was that he was like a cold sub sandwich, not in like the terms of the, it was hot and then it cooled off and now it's kind of weird, mm-hmm. but just like a, like a refrigerated sub sandwich. So in most situations with the sub sandwich, it's great. It's it's totally satisfying. It's I'm a fan you, of cold cuts. I'll say it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good protein. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. No, I mean it's it's very good most of the time. But when you want something like a steak or a burger or whatever, and maybe that's not available to you, uh, a, a sub maybe doesn't. You know, it's like uh, sure, I I, I guess. <laughs> Uh, there's just, you know, something a little bit out there to be desired. And again, this is just based on, you know, Google and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, there's just something out there. And and I know people had said since he was an assistant in Miami, like, oh, he's the guy he's, you know, he's, he's got LeBron stamp of approval, which is, you know, undoubtedly important. And, you know, like he's, he's from Spoh's tree. He's going to do modern offense and modern Mm. defense. And so it's going to work, but, you know, and just looking for, um, evidence, I guess you could say, 
I, I didn't find enough to where it was like a complete home run. So. Yeah, I think what's kind of interesting with him is um, that he does have like the LeBron stamp of approval, right? Like when he got fired, LeBron sends out a tweet like, oh, what are they doing? I think Damian Lillard sent out one. Like So like players can definitely find a way to connect to him. And I think play, some players believe in him. But he totally lost Marcus All. Um, right. So, like, there's there's the part of me that wants to say, like, oh, duh, like, this will work. Like, him and Giannis will get along. He understands how to coach a superstar. And, I mean, he's talked glowingly about Giannis any chance he's gotten to um, when he's been in Milwaukee. And I know I've transcribed a number of those quotes and thought, man, this is a really long answer. Um, <laughs> and it's just, like, I, I could see him forming that connection. But at the same time, like, I think – you do have to wonder, like, well, he did have a star. And again, maybe you want to say that Gasol isn't a superstar and it would be different with a superstar. Like, that's totally fine. Um, but at the same time, he did lose his star at one point. Um, it didn't get along with them. I think pushed too hard from most of the reports that we heard. Um, so, again, like, there's just that kind of lingering thing where you're like how would it go with Giannis because if it goes south with Giannis that might not just mean you lose your coach like you might also lose Giannis right and we can't have that yeah and you know there there's you know the whole take that for data thing and (laughs) you know like to his credit he's very much honest he's very much outspoken in in like community things and social issues and so like he's he's like great that's awesome but the there is you know like that lingering downside of him being so such uh a straight shooter like he could you don't want to compare him to kid because you don't know how that you know necessarily translates but you can say the wrong thing to a guy and he'll he'll tune you out or something and maybe yeah. that's what happened with marcus off so there's there's definitely i don't want to say risk necessarily but a reason to hesitate on just making this hire happen. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, let's hop into the stats. You had a couple that I'm assuming made you uh, less convinced than you wanted to be uh, with with uh, David Fisdale. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's less convinced, but it, it's just kind of like, oh, that's that's okay, I guess. So, um, yeah, like you said, he's Miami Heat assistant. From 2008 to 2016, um, they were top 12 in offensive rating five of the eight years. Uh, one of those years was without the big three. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, take that however you want. Take that uh, for data. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, also, he was top, thir- or his teams, if they were his teams, you never know, really know. Um, top 13 defensive rating seven of the eight years. So, maybe not like top echelon or whatever but definitely balanced yeah um i don't know if it's balanced enough or balanced and good enough i guess you could say yeah um but whatever so yeah when he was you know grizzlies coach last year and a half um their offensive rating only went up from 22nd to 19th so not necessarily the kind of improvement you'd want or the improvement that some other guys on this list have made to their teams 
But they did go from 25th to 14th in three-point attempts his first season, which Grizzlies were taking about 18 and a half um, attempts the year before, uh, and the next year we're taking 26 and a half. I know Bucks fans, um, you know, really want their their guys to shoot more, and yep. so at least in in that regard, there's some nice potential. Um, I can't tell you off the top of my head who all was around on those Grizzlies teams, you know, where they had, Different I think it's all about the pick like yeah. yeah. But I think it was largely similar personnel. Okay. So anyways, um, also he increased the team's assist percentage from 20th at 56.2% to 12th at 58.4% in the first season as well. So like we've said, you know, there's improvement. And if he had gotten more time, you know, kind of influence his roster more and get more of his guys around, maybe that becomes a lot better, but that's all we have on him. So Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm curious about kind of what, you know, I'm curious what he would have gotten to to build in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Like if, if this doesn't go, if this doesn't go wrong. Um, and I mean, I, I think as we mentioned, it was largely his relationship with Gasol that went wrong. So uh, I'm very curious kind of what could have happened, but there, the, the fact that he had such a drastic identity overall, I think is impressive to me, even if the numbers aren't insane, um, in, overhauling the offense or defense or anything like that. But just the fact that you can see that three point attempt rate rise from 25 to 14 in one season, we've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, uh, just the idea that the, the bucks improved their three point attempts from year to year um, under kid, but they also were still dead last. Uh, because like the NBA as a whole shoots more threes. So to go from 25 to 14, that's a significant jump. Like just because the league is trending in that direction as well. So not only are you fighting the larger league trend of more threes, like you're fighting against your own roster, against your own personnel to create that as well. So um, I I would say impressive stuff. Um, Wish I would have got to see more. Um, wish I would have got to have a better idea of kind of what he would be as as a head coach, but I think there's there's plenty of attractive things there. Um, you mentioned a Heat head coach before, or excuse me, a Heat assistant coach uh, before he was assistant with the Heat. He was an uh, assistant for the Atlanta Hawks from 04 to 08, and then an assistant with the Golden State Warriors from 03 to 04. He was in college before that, so. Um, not quite a lifer and he did get uh kind of i mean he kind of got a head coach job at a, a youngish age um as he is just 43 right now so i think he was 40 41 when he got hired um but he was definitely an up-and-comer he was one of those guys that showed up on kevin arnovitz's list the the season before that um so i think plenty to be excited about there all right uh what do we got next I think it's, um, I'm sorry, I'm scrolling, uh, David Vanderpool. Uh, yeah. He is the current assistant of the Portland Trailblazers. And, again, maybe his job is in flux if Terry Stotts is gone. I, I don't really know. And, again, the Terry Stotts rumors kind of persist, and we'll see if they actually happen or any of that comes to fruition. But for now, 
Blazers assistant coach David Vanderpool, 45 years old. What else you got on him? Uh, yeah. So, uh, among other things, uh, he, he was kind of like a, I don't want to say end of the bench guy, but, you know, kind of like a, a hard worker, scrapper um, type of player. Uh, or he last played was in uh, four, I guess, uh, CSKA Moscow, which is was coached, or, yeah, was coached by, you know, our good friend at <laughs> Messina. Okay. So there, there is, you know, like that, you know, excitement of being associated with that. And in addition to that, after he was done playing uh, from 2005 to 2007 on that team, he got a spot on the bench and coached alongside Messina from 2007 to 2012. And in addition to that, I, I couldn't really track down the date specifically, but as, cl- as close as I could get to it, he was a, He's a pro scout and maybe in the front office for the Thunder from 2010 to 2012. Hmm. So, you know, on the Arnovitz list, I can't remember which one. Uh, it, it said that Vanderpool, you know, is on the fast track to like being a rising front office executive. But he he saw this development uh, okay. there and was like, I you, you, you just couldn't. Uh, I guess sit idly by and not, you know, take part in that. Yeah. So after that experience, he, he got on to Terry Stotts' staff, which is, I mean, until last week or two was a pretty attractive staff. Um, just in, in terms of like all the schemes that run on offense and, you know, obviously that's helped by their, their talented backcourt, but, um, Vanderpool's, I guess, de facto, um, a, a title, on that team was a defensive coordinator, if you want to call that. But in addition to that, uh, he was largely credited with, you know, establishing that relationship with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Hmm. And both those guys spoke highly of him just in terms of, you know, um, watching film with him and like picking out opposing players tendencies and, you know, kind of drilling all that, that mental work that goes into every matchup. Uh, with those guys, and like I, like I said, they were they couldn't speak highly enough of them based on the stuff that I had you know come across. And then just going back to that defensive coordinator stuff real quick, they weren't uh, they weren't a fantastic defensive team for a while. I I don't want to give out wrong numbers, so I'm not quite sure where they were. But uh, this year they were eighth in defensive rating, so something clicked. I don't know if that's just like an effort thing or, or, or whatnot. Probably an energy and effort if I had a guess. Yeah. yeah. If there's anything <laughs> we know. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if how much it works. I think, uh, under, under his name on this Google doc, there's a couple links to, uh, like how the Blazers defend the pick and roll. I don't remember what they did. I'm, I'm sorry. And there's also some stuff about, you know, late switching and how that may or may not work. I think there was like a pro and con of it. So I, I didn't find a ton on him. Um, but there is some schematic stuff you can look at and a couple links of just the players talking about him and this yep. kind of work ethic and whatnot. So, um, I, I think he's interviewed for at least the Sixers job in the, in the past and can't remember what else, but I know, um, Adrian Wojnarowski, when he wrote his Frank Vogel 
firing piece mentioned that Vanderpool was uh, a person of interest in that coaching search as well. So people notice him. Um, as I say, I have him down for interviewing for uh, Philly in 2013, Denver in 2015, and Orlando in 2016. Oh, okay. So yeah, maybe not the most um, backed up candidate in terms of evidence, but there there's stuff there if you uh, if you're more of a defensive minded guy plus a development guy, then maybe Vanderpool is someone you're interested in. So take a look. All right. So I guess just some things to think about with Vanderpool. Um, he's been with the the Blazers since the 2012-2013 season, obviously kind of serving as their defensive coordinator. Um, they've gone through some ups and downs during that time. Uh, in 2012-13, they were 25th in defensive rating. According to cleaning the glasses, I'm looking through this. Um, 13, 14, they jumped up to 16th, 14, 15, all the way to 10th. Um, and then back down to 20th and 15, 16, 25th last year in 16, 17, and then all the way back up to 7th uh, this year in 17, 18. So there's been some ups and downs there, but I mean, if you think about that, that Blazers team this year, um, I don't know if you'd necessarily think of defensive stoppers um i mean the bucks lit them up when they played in portland so i don't know if that yeah helps vanderpool's case or not. yeah but <laughs> you just kind of think about the guys that they have like the fact that you have to defend with lillard and mccollum that can kind of be i mean that can kind of be a difficult thing to do so um I think an interesting guy. Um, let's go to the other guy in Portland who's also interesting um, and who also is on your list. That is Nate Tibbetts, a little bit younger. He is 40 years old. Um, what do you got on Nate Tibbetts? Yeah, so I don't know if we mentioned it, by the way, but Vanderpool is 45. Um, so, yeah, Tibbetts is 40. Uh, he cut his teeth in coaching uh, in the what was then D-League. Uh, he was the coach of the Sioux Falls Sky Force and Tulsa 66ers from 2005 to 2011. Um, multiple playoff appearances. I don't know how much stock you want to put into that, but with the 66 still oh man, that is hard to say, 66ers, uh, he did take them to the D-League Finals in his first season. Uh, they did not win, unfortunately. But um, from there, uh, he was a Cavs assistant, uh, from 2011 to 2013, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that he coached Team USA in the Pan America Games in 2011. Anyways, so yeah, Cavs assistant from 2011 to 2013, and then Blazers assistant since then. Um, this is mostly covered in the Arnovitz article, but uh, he's described pretty much as like an absolute grinder, and I never, uh, you know unwilling to put in work with the player. I think specifically in Arnold, if it's his article, he'll say that if you want to get in a cab and, you know, head to the arena, like he's your guy to call up. So, you know, that kind of commitment to improving is, you know, it, it's enticing. Um, and on top of that, or as a result of it, I guess I should say he's, he's gotten a reputation for, you know, developing a lot of guys and just having, you know, some good chops in that department. Um, Whereas Vanterpool was more on the defensive side, 
Uh, Tibbetts was generally tasked with the Blazers' offense. He's also gotten uh, high praise from Damian Lillard as well as uh, Wes Matthews and even Kyrie Irving. Um, with the oh, Blazers, I didn't even think about that because I guess 2011 to 2013, that's like the start of Kyrie's career. I, I mean, I didn't even... Yeah. I didn't even put that together when you said it, but yeah, that that makes sense. Sorry. To be honest, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, anyways, so uh, with the Blazers, he's had a top 11 offensive rating for the last five years. And in addition to that, they have been top half of the league in pace for the last five, which isn't, you know, it's not, you know, jaw dropping, but that kind of consistency is, you know, pretty exciting especially considering you know like what kind of stuff the blazers run obviously they have two really talented guards um but they they just run like a lot of cool action i know you could probably speak more to it than me but there's just like a lot of you know running one of their guards you know i think it's an iverson cut you're gonna have to correct me if i'm wrong about that it's definitely an iverson cut yeah so like iverson cut and then that leading to, you know, some, some backdoor action or some flares and just, you know, a lot of like quick hitting action to get guys open shots. And though obviously the Bucks may not have, you know, as talented of, of guards as the Blazers. Um, there's, there's just stuff to like there in terms of schemes. And if you're a guy who is on Twitter every day talking about how frustrated you are or guy or girl, I should say, talking about how frustrated you are with you know the Bucks schemes and how ISO heavy and how slow it is and whatever then I think a guy like Tibbetts and the Blazers offense which I provided a couple links to just in terms of like their their play sets and whatnot would be an attractive candidate because it's it's diverse it's it's much faster than action that the Bucks run um and yeah again kind of like Vanderpool maybe not your favorite candidate after watching them get, you know, cleaned up pretty easily by the um, Pelicans. But uh, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. I was going to say with him, I just think just generally watching the Blazers, if you catch them on league pass or kind of think about the games where the Bucks played them, like there's, there's a bunch of player movement. There's a bunch of backside movement. Um, you mentioned some of the Iverson cuts with uh, Lillard and McCollum. Like, I just think there's a general creativity there. And again, uh, I mean, with any assistant, you have to say, well, how much is it Terry Stotts or how much is it Greg Popovich and how much should you take from those people? Like, I understand the difficulty with that, but if those guys are the kind of offensive specialists, offensive coordinators, however you want to put like, yeah, I mean, I think you do have to put uh, some stock into that. So uh, I think what's interesting there is just the fact that they've gotten good results, good results out of the offense, like being top 10 for the last five years um, to me is, is significant. Um, even if you do think they've had undeniably talented offensive players, like just the fact that they've been able to stay there uh, and then top half of the league in pace. If there's one thing this Bucks team uh, doesn't do particularly well, it's find a way to have pace. Um, so the fact that they've been able to do that, I think should be to me just generally exciting. Um, and then, you've seen creative stuff ran for, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic, um, 
you've seen Myers Leonard at times <laughs> find success. Like, but when you think of guys on this Bucks roster, like, one, you have to find a way to create unique stuff for Giannis, but like, they made Myers Leonard a player for a year. Thon Maker is pretty similar uh, to Myers Leonard. And if you can kind of find some of that stuff on the fringes through creative offensive stuff, I think that would be uh, a major plus. All right, that's going to be it for part two. Tomorrow we'll get to our top three coaching prospects. We'll break those guys down in even greater detail and kind of let you know uh, where we end up with all of this. But uh, thus far, like I said at the start of the podcast, as a reminder, head over uh, to me on Twitter at Eric underscore name. You can find that Google Doc if there was, like I said, someone that we talked about and you don't think we gave enough attention to. If there's someone we didn't mention that you wanted talked about, go ahead and throw it on there as well. Like I think someone had mentioned Sam Cassell, and that's not someone that I had mentioned. Uh, so throw them on the list, and we can throw some more of that in- information out there for people uh, as they are trying to educate themselves about potential Bucks coaching prospects. So that'll that'll be everything tomorrow. Uh, once we post tomorrow's podcast, then uh, the document will get sent out by Eric Benning. Uh, it'll also go up on brewhoop.com. So you can find... All of the all of the videos, all of the coaching clinic notes, all of those different things uh, tomorrow. So make sure you stick around for that. Part three coming up tomorrow, as well as the document and all of our notes and all of those things. Uh, so a lot to look forward to tomorrow. For Frank Madden, for Eric Benning, for Eric Name, this has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.